Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Wonderful, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. Joining me, as always, are my colleagues and soccer experts and friends, Anthony DeBundo, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and BJ Cunningham of Dubuque, Iowa. Gentlemen, match week one of the Premier League is in the books. So now we get to do, is it real? Is it an overreaction? It's it's something that you do in every sport, especially in you know NFL, college football. The betting market will overreact to what we saw in week one. That is not just an American phenomenon. It's an English phenomenon, too. It happens in the Premier League. So let's start with what could be an overreaction. That's Tottenham Hotspur. They're visiting Chelsea, 1130 a.m. on Sunday. Spurs plus 220 on the road. Chelsea plus 125 at home. The draws plus 235. Spurs were awesome on Saturday in a 4-1 win against Southampton. But as we said last week, you couldn't have picked a better opponent for Spurs in a week one match, especially with them playing at home. They drubbed Southampton 4-1, didn't look close, even though they had to come back. So now they take on Chelsea, a much more different animal than Southampton, not just because of talent, but Chelsea is a much more stoic, pragmatic team. They like the ball. They, they defend well. They're very organized and well coached. So BJ, go to Anthony Second since he's a Spurs tragic. You're an Arsenal guy. You hate Spurs with every fiber of your being. Yeah. Yep. Is Tottenham inflated here? Yes, 1,000% inflated. And even you can see it from what Chelsea opened at. I mean, Chelsea opened at plus 105, and now we're reaching plus 125 and plus one, eventually maybe going to get to plus 130. Did Chelsea really look that bad against Everton? I don't think so. I thought they looked in control for most of the match. The biggest thing is that these teams met three times last year when Conte was in charge, twice in the EFL Cup semis. If you want to throw them out, that's fine. I mean, Chelsea was pretty dominant in both of those matches. I mean, they won 2 nothing and one nothing, And then they played at Stamford Bridge under Conte. Chelsea 
one, two, nothing, you know, XG was 0.9 to 0.4. But the biggest thing is Chelsea closed at minus 140 in that match. So are we really saying from January 23rd that Chelsea is either 70 cents worse or Tottenham is 70 cents better on, on the money line? I don't think so. Did Chelsea's defense really get that much worse over the transfer window? I don't think so. I think Koubali for Rudiger is basically a one-for-one swap. And yes, I know Anthony's probably going to talk about how Chelsea's midfield is old and how Tottenham can run right through them. And that is a legitimate concern. But I think Chelsea's attack got a, a big time upgrade with Raheem Sterling. And I really just don't understand. I mean, I, I guess I get it because we've seen, you know, from the futures market and even, you know, match week one that people love to bet Tottenham. Like, and this is another situation where people, I think, are just buying into a Tottenham four one drubbing of Southampton. I mean, I won't even get into the fact that they scored four off two expected, but Southampton is horrific defensively and has shown no signs of getting better. So are people really overreacting to that? So I, I don't see it. I, I have Chelsea projected at plus one ten, which I thought was a fair I thought was a fair line, especially when it opened. But now we're getting up to plus one twenty five and plus one thirty. I'm gonna have to play Chelsea, especially at home here. So I'm taking Chelsea plus one twenty five. And, and it's not just a Southampton result, like you you alluded to. Tottenham was the trendy pick to upset the top two in the, the futures market. So there's a lot of confirmation bias, not just in the media, but with fans who, oh, you know, I think Tottenham can have a good year this year. I think they could surprise people. And then you see them do what they did in week one. And all of a sudden, those people are thinking, I was right. Tottenham is going to be the, the title challenger, especially with Liverpool being terrible against uh, Fulham. People are just throwing people are down on Chelsea. To the they're, win. They're down on I think Chelsea's being treated here like like what Man United would be treated right. like in the market against Spurs. Like it's 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 like a team in that like fifth, sixth, seventh range. This is still probably the fourth best team in the Premier League. They're at home. Maybe third. Maybe third best team in the Premier League, right? Like this is a good team. They're very well coached. This line on Chelsea looks really good. So I'm I'm gonna be taking the favorite here at home. Plus 125 is a good number on the Blues. Anthony, we were all on Spurs, by the way, last week. BJ, minus one and a half. Myself, minus one and a half. Anthony, just with his heart. But betting, you know, you, you, you can just throw that out the window now and, and just completely jump ship to the other side. And, and that's what I'm doing, Chelsea. Uh, Anthony, what do you see for this one? Yeah, you know, I wasn't really sure where I was going to end up on this match. I, I kind of went back and forth with myself about it. And then I, you know, updated my numbers and I came in right at the market. So I don't have a bet on this match. Uh, I think Spurs are marginally better on paper. Uh, and I do have long term, you know, my concerns with Chelsea are more long term in the sense that, you know, if Conte or Jorginho or Kovacic aren't able to play, the drop off is significant. Whereas I think Spurs have more depth in the midfield. And, you know, Son and Kane or Son and Kane, right? Chelsea did beat Spurs three times. They dominated the midfield exchanges in all of those matches. And I think that was really the thing that was a bit eye-opening. It was it was early in the Conte era. It was before Spurs really kicked into gear in February. Kulisevsky coming in, Bentoncourt uh, were not in those three matches. But, you know, Hoiberg played, Winks played. And, and so Chelsea's 3-5-2. Uh, you know, Lukaku did play one of the matches. They they went they played it back four, but Chelsea's back three kind of negated what Spurs back three looks to exploit uh, a little bit. And Kane often found himself very isolated in those matches. And Son did not play uh, at least one of them. I think it might have been two of them. Uh, and so that definitely factors in as well. But I, I do think that there's something to be said for all of the talk of the new transfers that Spurs made to supposedly improve this team. They didn't start any new signings in the first match. We may see Perisic. 
but otherwise, this is the same Spurs team that rolled out at the end of last season that was very good. But again, you know, I agree with you guys on the market sentiment, on the narrative, on the public situation here where Spurs scored more goals than anybody in the second half of the season last year. They ran pretty well finishing wise after having a terrible finishing stretch the first half of the season. Uh, and so I think you're absolutely right in the sense that the market has gotten a little bit too carried away on Tottenham here. I do think there is a, a you know, a pretty concerning first performance of Chelsea. I didn't think they were that good. I thought, yes, they controlled the match, but if you look at kind of the underlying numbers, it was pretty concerning. They dominated the field tilt, which they always are going to do against Everton, you know, 70 to 30, but uh, expected threat 1.6 XG 1.6 with a penalty. Uh, there weren't a lot of clear scoring chances and they really struggled to get the ball from the final third into the box to create those chances. And so I think that could be an issue against Spurs. I also think Spurs attack has not played a defense. You know, the defenses that they played at the end of the season last year, Liverpool match didn't really create a ton, you know, one or two big chances are kind of what they're relying on. Uh, and so I would lean toward the under here, but overall going to end up passing. Yeah. Let's uh, actually transition to that Everton Villa match. That's seven 30 AM on Saturday, Villa minus minus one twenty five. Everton plus three sixty. the draw plus two fifty five. And I want to segue into this one because I, think what you're alluding to Anthony is, is correct. Chelsea was in control of that game, uh, but one dumb mistake by Everton changes that from being a nil-nil draw to a one-nothing win from Chelsea. And if it was a nil-nil draw, think about the number we'd be getting on Chelsea uh, instead of a plus 125 against Spurs, it'd, it'd be even higher. That Everton setup, I thought was pretty clever from Lampard, which was, we're just going to stay fighting re- relegation from week one, basically. That was a relegation team setup against a, a, a big favor, right? They they packed it in. They did a very good job of staying solid at the back. They they coped with two injuries to center backs, uh, to Yeri Mina, of course, uh, Ben Godfrey within 15 minutes of of the season. So uh, it was it was good to watch Everton lose both <laughs> two of their starting center backs uh, within the first 60 minutes of the season. Connor Cody is lashed in quickly to help uh, solidify that back line now. He'll be playing with James Tarkowski, I think, for Everton that's a smart transfer, right? Like we always look at transfers kind of as like a broad thing, but does Connor Cody work for Tottenham Hotspur? No, but for this, for Everton and their mission this season, I think absolutely. And and I think Lampard kind of tipped his hand that like, he's not going to play the kind of buccaneering football that we saw out of him at Derby and, and then at Chelsea. He, I think he's committed to making sure Everton is solid at the back keep providing a foundation for them to, to build off of it and not get sucked into a true relegation scrap. And that is only going to be accentuated further by Cody's arrival, I believe. So what a dreary looking match this is against Aston Villa, who is another team who I think is just going to do the same thing. Like these are two walls looking at each other for 90 minutes. That Everton match against Chelsea was horrible. If you're a neutral it and, it, and, it, and it was 110 minutes long because of the injury time in the first and second half, But at the same time, as an Everton supporter, I was like, fine, this is totally fine. This is a way to just put some points in the pocket. Uh, And I I don't mind them at the big price against Villa. And they didn't put any points in the pocket. Right. But against, but they will eventually, (laughs) if they play like that and they play that solid defensively against worse teams than Chelsea, they're going to put points in their pocket. Will they ever score? Great question. Solomon Rondon's back from suspension, though. So look out. Uh, I think that Villa. Everton can set up for a draw, a bet on the draw. The unders juice pretty heavily at two and a half, very low. I think most people probably project this to be a pretty low event game, uh, but you're getting a good price uh, on Everton against a Villa team that 
I know Anthony's pretty high on, but they just don't break defenses down well enough. So, I mean, I think Everett is worth a shot here. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, you, your last point is, is where I'll start. Uh, they don't break defenses well down well enough, and that's exactly what happened in the first match. Villa had 1.73 expected threat. They produced 0.7 expected goals. That is really bad. You know, they were in and around the penalty area and they were in the final third a lot. Granted, they conceded in the fourth minute. So naturally Bournemouth kind of sat back, but Villa had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of the possession in dangerous areas and they did very little to create clear scoring opportunities with that dominated the field. But I was impressed by Everton's defense. And this goes back to the Chelsea thing, you know, and I just mentioned this. Chelsea had 20 passes into the final third. They only got five passes into the penalty area. That's pretty, pretty good stuff from, uh, from Chelsea. Uh, and I thought overall the blues were able to possess the ball, but weren't able to get in the area. Well, if the same thing's going to happen with a worse attacking team in Villa with not as good attacking players, I think this sets up for Everton to kind of just sit deep. Like you said, Lampard has learned from the absolute blowout losses that they took at the beginning of his tenure They're clearly playing a more defensive style. And this is one example where do we overreact to week one or do we say the market still hasn't caught up yet? I think this should be two and two and a quarter. It's two and a half minus 120 to the under. I played it. Uh, I put it in the app already. I like it a lot. Uh, Villa had 22 carries into the final third against Bournemouth. They only got one carry into the box. So it kind of gets to the point, you know, that this team just kind of lacked ideas and, you know, maybe it clicks and they win. I do think they'll win this, but where does Everton score goals? I mean, they didn't look like they had anything going. Uh, and, and you know, the Decore Awobi midfield that we kind of made fun of last week, they did a good job in terms of tackling and ball winning and, and pressing. Like, you know, they, they, they ran a lot and they put a good effort in, but there is no passing in that midfield. And that's a major problem. So I don't really see how they spring these direct attacks. It's kind of just going to be lob it up to Gordon and let him run or, you know, Hopefully McNeil can find a cross into Solomon Rondon, but you know, Villa's crossing defense should be pretty good. So uh, I like the under. I just think the presence of a, a natural striker should help Everton because it just pu- it pushes Gordon away from the middle of the, f- the field, which is where he was. Uh, he's much better on the wings using his pace and, and getting behind uh fullback. So I, I, I get Solomon Rondon, right? He's, he's not the best striker in the world. He used to be, but he's not uh, anymore. So I'm not saying that Rondon is going to be the difference, just but just having a target man could end up opening up Everton's attack and giving them more options. And like you said, the, the Awobi has been really good in the middle of the field for Everton. Him and DeCorey, neither one, like you said, neither one of them are going to pick that pass to spring a quick counter or anything. Uh, but they are bringing in Amadou Onana, Adrisa Ganagay, uh, in terms of at least his footballing is still very good. Uh, he looks like he's going to be in the door. So this, and and then obviously Cody too, like if, if Villa has the same issues that Chelsea had against Everton, Tarkovsky and Cody in the middle with Mason Holgate, who's great in the air, who, you know, is, he's good with his head, although he might not be the brightest soccer player. He's, he is good with his head. I just think they're going to have trouble breaking him down. You're look, you like the under that tells you that the margins in this game are going to be pretty thin. BJ in a second, we'll tell you his bet, which also kind of points that direction, which is why I like Everton. I think that we're looking at close, closer to a coin flip than the odds will suggest. Yeah, I just, I just say I only project 2.24 goals here, so I do like the under. All right, Michael. I think the biggest point you've missed is that this was the Duncan Ferguson game last year that Aston Villa won one nothing. 
So I, mean, I remember, that, I remember Steven Gerrard <laughs> sticking his tongue yeah. out to the glass. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that game was just ready to so, run through the TV. So low event. Event. Like, yeah, that was an incredibly low event type game, but obviously a different manager. So, you know, you can't right. really buy too much into Everton did, but I, I agree with Anthony. I, I don't see how Aston Villa is going to be threatening if they're going to be asked to have the ball quite a bit. And you saw that against Bournemouth. Now, obviously game state changed that. If Bournemouth doesn't go up in the fourth minute, does Aston Villa sit a little deeper and look to counter a newly promoted team? I don't know. But like you said, this is wall versus wall. I mean, Aston Villa, they were set up as maybe one of the, the biggest counterattacking teams in the Premier League last year. And if the, listen, I'm going to be honest, that, that lineup they put out there against Bournemouth was a little weird in my opinion, they went really, really defensive. They went with a four, three, three, and they went Kamara, Ramsey, and McGinn in the set in center, no Buendia. So they didn't really have that creative type midfielder that can essentially get forward and, and supply Danny Ainsley Leon Bailey and Coutinho. And if they're going to play like that again, I mean, well, Everton's just going to sit in and they're going to defend. And this could be very, very, it's probably going to be very similar to that Duncan Ferguson type match when Aston Villa scored off a corner and they won one, nothing. And that was pretty much it. So I'm going to go both teams to score no, which is currently at minus 105. I think that's a, a pretty cheap price for this being essentially a very low event type of game for two sides that I don't see being very threatening at all or creating even close to, you know, 1.5 and barely even one expected goal. I mentioned it last week, but Everton last season with Albert Charleston or Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the lineup averaged just one expected goal per 90 minutes. And that was, and there was, you know, a handful of matches where both of them weren't in the lineup. So it's, we have a pretty good sample size that Everton's just not that great. They just don't have another striking option beyond Dominique Calvert-Lewin right now. So uh, yeah, both teams score no minus one Oh five. I have it projected at minus minus one fifty. I mean, Gerard's uh, Aston Villa, they only averaged 1.2 XG per 90 under him. Like that really wasn't that good. They had 17 big scoring chances in 27 matches. Like that's bad. <laughs> like that's not good. So uh, I, yeah, I agree with you guys. I, this has low event written all over it. The under is a little too juicy for me. So I'm going to end up just taking both teams to score. No, at minus one Oh five, which I think is a pretty good price. I can't wait to get to this one. Man city minus 1200 at home hosting oh, Boardman. Oh uh, they're um, as high as they were as high as 35 uh, to one. I think you can still catch a 35 to one. There's a 33 to one out there as we're recording on Tuesday. I know the draws plus nine fifty. We'll keep this short because there's really no, reason to get into this one we know what man city is erling holland uh i guess you know welcome welcome to erling holland to the premier league right like he was incredible uh and and gives pep a, a new dynamic to to his attack to to be quick and play balls behind who's better than you know kevin de bruyne or, or phil foden to do that so kudos to city there's just no way I can look away from 33 to one in a 90 minute match, like a 90 minute soccer game. So I'll be on board with it. I, I knew it was coming. Look, you knew it was coming. It. If you're going to play anything, play 33 to one. Yeah, because absolutely. I have no, there is no reason to play Bournemouth plus three. There's no reason to play City. I disagree. If I mean, Bournemouth gets to plus three, I'm betting it. No, because here's the deal. That, <laughs> I'm betting I mean, it. It's two and three quarters. If it gets to three, I'm going to bet it. I mean, uh, I mean, you could say that they're the type of team like similar to like Burnley last year, where if they go down one goal, it's not like they're just going to open up the match and and say, hey, we're going to go right out and try to get back in this. Like they're going to play very defensive for the full 90 minutes. They're probably not going to be able to play through City's pressure. So basically what you're betting on is that just City takes their foot off the gas. Because the if they do, they kind of the just... second match of the season, I don't see happening. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think we need to go much further into this game. But Bournemouth team total over is uh, plus 165. No. Uh, well, if you're going to bet them to score, just bet the third. But if you're going to bet that, I'm not betting them in any way as of right now. Right. Uh, but if it gets to plus three, you will see a wager. You will Still, see. And no matter what, you bet. should split your stake. If, if, you're if you're going to get into bed with Bournemouth as a 33 to one underdog against Manchester City, and, you, and you're like, oh, I, I, I'd like to plus three, like split your stake. If if you like them enough, throw like, a dollar I, on it. Yeah, who cares? Like that's that that's you you're you're not going to see once a year you will see a number like this in in basically. Hey, here's the question: in, Is this in a money is this, line sport? Is this the biggest line of the year for the Premier no. League? Do you think Nottingham Forest is going to be the biggest one? When does City play Forest? I don't know, but do you think that's going to be the biggest one? Or is I think this it depends on when City plays Forest. Okay. All right. yeah, because if we'll City see. plays four, I agree, I agree. I agree with that next I'm, week. I'm then no, but if City plays them by the end of the year, I think we may. Uh... Yeah. It's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Like, no, it is. Are we, are we going to see a thirty-five to one again the rest of the Premier League season? I don't know. I mean, like, there was a there was a famous Norwich twenty to one. Yeah, a couple it, years ago, Crystal Palace was eighteen to one. No, Stoke, Stoke City did it too. Yeah, at well, like, well, it happens. It's the point is, it happens once a year. There's a major shock, and if it's not going to be Bournemouth, it's going to be another team we're talking about later in the show. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, so let's just park that one there. There's really, there's not much else you could go into it. We can't. City plays Forest end of the month on a Wednesday. I think uh, I, 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 that might not be enough time for the market to downgrade Forest. It's at City. It's at City. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's park it. We'll get to that match in a couple of weeks. Uh, Southampton and Leeds. We'll talk about next. Saints plus 125 at home. Leeds plus 215 on the road. The draw plus 245. Another 10 a.m. kickoff. Uh, on the South Coast, Southampton, we already discussed, looked terrible against uh, Tottenham. Nightmare matchup. Leeds United, were they good against Wolves? Were they Was Wolves bad? Were they, was it just a weird game? Jose Saab turned into a pumpkin. And I, I was, what? you're not going to learn anything from one game with anybody, but like Leeds was already a mystery, I think, coming in and became more of a mystery with, with that win, I would say. These two teams rank near the bottom of the league last year in terms of big chances allowed and, and expected goals allowed. I think this is a good overbet. So that's where I'll be looking here. BJ, anything for you? Saints and Peacocks. I, I agree with you. I think this is a good match to chase a big price on a big over. So if you want to play, I'm, I'm going to play over three goals at plus 130. If you want to try to play three over three and a half goals, I think that there's still some value on that. I mean, listen, you could make the argument that Southampton against Tottenham, like, oh, well, they only allowed two expected goals off of four. So their defense should get better. Like, they're just bad. Okay. I don't know how else we can describe it. Like Southampton's defense, they're just very, very bad. And they haven't shown any sign of improvement. Like you said, Michael, they were dead last in the Premier League in big scoring chances allowed last season. But I will say this offensively, they were sixth in the Premier League in big scoring chances created. Now, I know Broge is not there, but it still highlights a bigger point that, like, Yes, when you press that frenetically and you can get those type of turnovers and high turnovers against teams that maybe aren't that great against pressure, like, yeah, you can create some big scoring chances offensively. And that's exactly what I, I think this match has written all over it because Leeds, yes, they they were 16th in big scoring chances allowed. And, you know, Anthony will tell you there was a month stretch where they were playing the academy players. So you have to factor that in. Well, under Jesse Marsh, they were allowing about one and a half big scoring chances per match. So the defense did not get any sort of better as in terms of allowing big scoring chances under him. And yeah, the first match was kind of weird against Wolves. Like I'd, you look at the underlying metrics, you're like Leeds, yeah, they scored two goals and they have like 1.1 expected. They allowed Wolves to control 60% possession. But when you have two teams that are going to press at this type of like frenetic pace, I mean, 
I mean, Leeds had 188 pressures against Wolves. Like that's a lot <laughs> in terms of, you know, actual teams pressing. So it's going to be very open. I believe there's going to be chances at both ends. I mean, when these two met under Marsh was in charge of Leeds, it was a one, one draw. There was 3.2 expected goals were created four big scoring chances. So if we see a similar type match like that, I, I no doubt we're going to have an over here. So I have a little over three goals projected at 3.1. So I think we're chasing a big price on over three goals at plus one thirty or over three and a half at, at a at a big price. I think is where I'm going in this one. Yeah, good a good live over game two. If the first ten yep. or fifteen minutes are, are slow, Anthony, anything? Yeah, I am curious the uh, single game XG. Are we not? Does the Anderson goal count? Uh, no, I don't it didn't think count. it does. Right, no. and so like th- that's the thing you know with single game XG is uh, when you have that extreme case where you know like a 0.7 chance that's like yeah. a tap into an empty net doesn't get counted that like will throw off your xg stats uh in these kind of small ish samples uh and so like we can take a step back on like what happened in the first leads match and i thought it was interesting that wolves kind of dominated the possession but so much of it happened in their own half they had more touches in their own defensive third than any team in the prem more than manchester city so that was really interesting and they had 60% of the possession. So it's clear that Leeds doesn't really need the ball. Marsh doesn't really want the ball. Uh, but when they do get the ball, they do get that high turnover. It was very impressive on the second goal, the how quickly they were able to just break through lines and get in behind. And I think that's Bamford really is the, a, Bamford is a difference maker for Leeds. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Aronson was a difference maker. And, yep. and he, he went in the ball back in the penalty area, set up the first goal. And he gets on the end of the second chance after a great ball into Bamford. So, you know, I thought leads were, were good uh, to be honest with you. There was a couple of chances where they maybe got let off the hook, but generally speaking, I didn't think saints were as bad as everybody else did either. Field tilt was 50, 50 in that game, which is really interesting against Spurs. And obviously Spurs are much better in both boxes and that's why they dominated the match on chances and goals, but saints still have a midfield that can, cause some problems for people like Romeo and Ward Prowse is like a pretty good midfield. They're not a relegation midfield. Uh, and so I'm ultimately passing here, but I'm very interested to watch this match. I think it could be one of the more interesting ones of the weekend. Uh, another 10 AM kickoff Arsenal BJ's Arsenal minus two ten, hosting Leicester city plus five fifty. the draw plus three sixty. We were all wrong. Arsenal beat crystal palace in the premier league curtain raiser on Friday afternoon, Eastern time. I uh, looked really good. The Gunners did. I thought Palace was fine too. Leicester City, on the other hand, they played a strange one against Brentford where uh, they go up 2-0 and give up the lead and honestly almost lost it a couple of times. A couple of good chances for Mime and Tony go left asking uh, if they go in. Uh, we're talking a much different tone here with Leicester. The draw plus 360 here. I think it's similar to the Spurs conversation where the market is is just going to be too we you could have closed your eyes and looked at the line and been like i know exactly where this number is going to be and it's just going to be too high on arsenal uh just judging off of the preseason hype the way they looked in week one the fact that everyone was talking about how great they looked in the preseason and those matches too like it's, it just was going to get too high then you throw in the fact that everybody's down on lesser i think it's warranted to before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the stanley cup final on abc and espn plus begins saturday 
At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. To be down on Leicester as well. Um, and then they 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 choke a 2-0 lead to Brentford. More smoke around Wesley Fofana leaving. Some more smoke around uh, Yuri uh, Tielemans leaving. Uh, so Leicester, they're just in a weird way. James Madison as well. Like they're going to be a kind of herky-jerky side, I think, until the transfer window closes. That said, I think they do have enough talent to warrant some interest at five and a half to one. Uh, so that's where I'm looking, whether I bet it or not. We'll see because there are a couple of big underdogs on the slate that we'll, that we've already talked about. We'll continue to talk about that. I like uh, maybe a little more Anthony. What about you? Yeah. I mean, this, this got bet up. Uh, Arsenal was minus minus one eighty. Now they're at the minus two ten. Uh market reacting to Arsenal's big win over the Friday where they weren't as good as the scoreline indicated. Uh, and the market, I guess, you know, reacting to Leicester blowing a 2-0 lead. Also, all the uncertainty with transfers definitely playing a role there. You know, the more players keep getting linked to other teams, the less likely they are to play for Leicester while that saga is ongoing. So that hurts Leicester's potential lineup. I thought Ndidi was good on Saturday. I thought that was my, or Sunday, rather. That was one of my takeaways. Uh, but this attack had nothing. I mean, they couldn't generate squat against Brentford, despite having a lot of the ball. Brentford kind of just gave them the ball and they didn't really do much with it. So that, that's a that's a, definitely a concern. They had 15 touches in the attacking penalty area. That is the fewest in the league. They're among the fewest in the league, despite getting, you know, the bees at home. Uh, but again, Arsenal, like, didn't dominate that match against Palace. I know that, like, the scoreline said that, but, like, we're like an Eze one-on-one or like a header that, you know, was hit right at Ramsdale from a very different conversation about how that game went. Expected threat, expected goals were very even. Palace missed their chances. Arsenal took one of theirs. Good set piece routine. You know, very creative. You know, good for Arteta and Arsenal to get on the board and win. But uh, they do the thing where they look so good for the first 20 minutes. But the, the last hour, I thought Palace were clearly the better team. And they did it a lot last year, too. It's not a, it's not a new phenomenon that Arsenal just take, scores an early goal and takes their foot off the gas. I mean, this fixture last year, and this was the one at Leicester, uh, Arsenal scored early and then got pummeled for an hour. Uh, and Ramsdale made some great saves, but they got dominated on an XG. And we were like, oh, Arsenal was lucky. And you could say, okay, yes, but they were winning. But, you know, how, how you know, you're, you're supposed to play like a top five team. You should be looking to get multiple goals, not sitting on a one no lead on the road at Palace. So I am ultimately passing here, but I will be looking to play Leicester live if they go down a goal. I think that's that's one good way to play this. The number will still be inflated on Arsenal after that. You may get a plus, you'll probably get a good plus one and a half at that point. Whereas, you know, pregame, you're, you're looking at plus one and maybe a quarter. I think that's scary though, Lester. 53 passes into the final third, just seven into the penalty area. So there's clearly something missing there. And that's why the Foxes had less than, you know, 0.8 expected goals in their first game. Uh, BJ, I know you're going to be sending this one out probably from a betting perspective, but quick word on. What he doesn't do you want to. Well, I mean, Arsenal is going to be overvalued if this is what's going to happen all year. It's going to suck as an Arsenal fan because I'm going to have to end up betting against them. I'm not going to bet this one. Can we talk about what Brendan Rodgers did and how it just made no sense? They were up 2-1 in the 73rd minute. He brings off Dewsbury Hall and brings on Pat with a 2-1 lead. So what does Thomas Frank do? He says, okay, you're going to do that. All right, well, I'm going to bring on a few attackers. 
and what did Brentford do? They just went right up the middle and they took it right to them. And, you know, like you said, Michael, we're an Ivan Tony like sitter essentially away from Brentford, maybe winning this three, one, obviously things change or three, two, and obviously things change. They also did score, but they were offside in like the 85 yeah. minutes. Right. And so it was just puzzling. Like, and you, you know, you see from the XG chart from there, well, Brentford, as soon as Dewsbury Hall came off and Doc came on, well, Brentford just started controlling the match when Leicester for a large stretch of the match were really, I thought, controlling the midfield. Tillman's like you already mentioned, Anthony and Didi were really good. And even Dewsbury Hall was good. He got a goal. So yeah, Leicester is going to be a very, very interesting case because I think their defense progressively has gotten better with Fofana back. Leicester in- unders? No. Um, we're getting there. I'm telling you, yeah. there was like 1.2 extra created in that whole game. I know it, it's crazy. And when DD makes yeah. them better, if he's healthy, like, yeah, but then you know, like it's like, it's like, I you know, um, I mean, Tielemans, he'll go out there and he'll have his, uh, you know, his Arsenal debut in the Emirates for, you know, his first Arsenal match of the season. And then they'll, you know, this match will probably buy him. And then he goes. And then does Madison go to Newcastle? Does Fofana go to Chelsea? And then what does Leicester become? Where's the money? Where? I I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. It's, strange, so it's been we'll a strange, play. strange hot season. Strange, it's a it's strange 22 days, by the way. Like, I they know. can sell these players, buy other players, and then I know. Like, well, they can totally reevaluate what we think about this team. But uh, like, only has right a year now, I don't know. Contract, so they have, to, they have to do something now. Like, they can't just wait or else he leaves for free to Arsenal next year. Right. So you want to get 35 mil, get it now. I think they will. Another 10 a.m. kickoff, Wolverhampton, plus 135 at the Molyneux. They're at home. Uh, hosting Fulham plus two fifteen off of a riveting two two draw against Liverpool. Thought they were good enough uh, to win that one. Uh, the draw is plus two thirty. Uh, I think if you ask a lot of people to do like a knee jerk reaction to Week One, a lot of them would flip flop these two teams and their what what their preseason predictions were and what they are after Week One, which is you know maybe Fulham in nineteenth, eighteenth, seventeenth, whatever, and then they flip Wolves into there because there just just a, seems to be a lot of People, even at the end of last year, because Wolves were so bad in the second half and then into the offseason and then into this new season, picking them as a trendy relegation pick. So that's what I'm thinking now. But I want to say one thing. And this was a big joke last year with Wolves uh, on this podcast, because I assumed that Bruno Lage with with a ton of, you know, kind of tricky, talented uh, attacking players would would play a much more open style. He didn't. He still played three at the back. Them selling Connor Cody, they played two in the back. They played a 4-4-2 against... Um, leads and they, they sell Connor Cody because he can't play. They, he doesn't, Lodge doesn't like the way Connor Cody plays uh, in a 4-4-2. I think we could see Wolves open things up here and Wolves overs are really going to are gonna be a, a banker like they were at the end of last season last year. Uh, and, and this Fulham team is Marco Silva, I guess, did he tip his hand that they're just going to be pedal to the metal uh, hunt in packs against no matter who the opponent is. That's what they did against Liverpool. Very brave, impressive performance. So I like to over two and a half. You're getting plus money, plus 108, Fulham and Wolves. Anthony, what do you like? You know, if you were to just take like a knee-jerk reaction and, and I like kind of what you said, right? You would flip up the two teams. But before the season, I had Fulham better than Wolves. I still think they're better than Wolves. I still think, you know, that Fulham is underrated. Paulinha, third most tackles in the Prem this weekend. Incred- man of the match for me against Liverpool. I thought yeah, him, and, the, him and Pereira, the, like, I, I mean, they dominated the midfield. Yeah, Pereira was good, and yeah. I, I don't know if I go dominated, but they they I mean did what relative they to, to what they were expected Liverpool to dominate. Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. Liverpool, they kept Liverpool from dominating, right? Uh, and I thought that was really impressive. I thought Anthony Robinson was awesome. 
Uh, I tweeted like 23 minutes in, like he's the best fullback on the, on the pitch right now. Uh, and you know, it was obviously a little bit of a joke, but I thought he played better than Trent and Robertson. And I thought he got the better of Salah for large parts of that match. They did ultimately break it open a little bit, you know, later on with Nunez coming on, but Fulham's defensive strength in the midfield, their ability to play without the ball was incredibly impressive. And now I get them as an underdog to a Wolves team that was a terrible favorite last year. And we talked about this too. They, they, they had the tie with Norwich. They lost to Norwich or they had two ties with Norwich. I believe I know they had at least one at the end of the year. They lost to, excuse me, they tied Brighton a couple of times when they were favored. They struggled to, they lost to Burnley, right? Yep. Lost to Burnley and drew them. Yeah, they lost. Right. One. So the, all of these games, they against beat, these they beat like, Everton. They beat Everton twice. They so. beat Everton. Well, of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, and they had a couple good wins. Don't get me wrong, but this Wolves team really struggled against those bottom half teams that they were expected to beat where they were favored. And so I'm going to take Fulham plus a quarter of a goal here. I think they're the better team. You factor in home field. I make Wolves just a little bit better than a toss up. And with that being said, I'm going to take Fulham. I, I don't think it's an overreaction because in my opinion, coming into the season, I thought Fulham was better. And I still think they are now. Uh, BJ, anything on this one before we move on to the last 10 a.m. kickoff? I agree with Anthony that I do have, you know, Fulham pretty even with Wolves. I think the market has kind of reacted to that. I think Wolves at plus 135 is, is, a, is a fair line. What I am interested to see is if Fulham's going to play a mid-table club or a bottom-table club like Wolves, are they going to be able to control possession? Are they going to be able to do what they did to a lot of teams in the championship? And that's basically just run them over. I don't know. I mean, the first match against Liverpool, we can't, I mean, I can't really take much away from that because, you know, it, it is Liverpool. But for me, I think I just need to see Fulham one more time. I mean, who's going to control possession in this match? And does it really matter who controls possession? Is Wolves going to control 60% like they did against Leeds? Or is Fulham going to control a large share of the possession? And Wolves turns back into what they were last year, which is very condensed defensively. Your point about Connor Cody, well, they signed Nathaniel Collins. Who's better to play a 4-4-2 than a Burnley center back? So, uh, yeah, for me, this is a pass. If anything, I would look at both teams to score no. A minus 105, I think, is a little cheap. But for me, I want to see Fulham one more time against a mid-table club and see how they play under Marco Silva. I think that's fair. Uh, and, and you know who would be really useful against Alexander Mitrovic in the middle of the box? on Saturday, Connor Cody, uh, Anthony Not there. Yeah. I want to, I want to get this right. So they tied Norwich twice, lost to Burnley, tied Burnley four games against teams who, you know, were relegated from the league to, you know, if you think Fulham is that bad, they really struggled in those kind of games tied Brighton, uh, and then lost to Brighton, uh, when they were favored at home, they lost to Newcastle. So, and, and then they tied Newcastle when Newcastle was bad. So th- there's a lot of questionable stuff in this wolves is a favorite angle. Uh, the last 10 a.m. kickoff is Brighton hosting Newcastle. Seagulls plus 140 at home. Newcastle 2-1. to one. Underdogs on the road. The draw plus 225. Tip of the cap to our Seagulls, man. Mm. Wow, 5 to 1 underdogs cashing. The underdog parlay, if you'd bet them all as separate legs, uh, comes ahead just because of Brighton at 5-1. Uh, to one. Um, Good start for Leboff in this year's standings. <laughs> yeah, good start. Oh, that was me. But he had the underdog. I had the best bet. It was we were all the best. The point is, we were all over yeah. Brighton. They came through, uh, no matter how you had them, unless you went on alternate line minus one and a half, like a crazy person. I know somebody who did. The, <laughs> the seagulls. <laughs> I think. I think what we saw was like just a, almost like a like a, a zombie team being Manchester United walking into 
bright like a buzzsaw on Saturday. Like that was as in a weird way, like as we just said, Southampton was the perfect opponent for Tottenham in week one. Brighton were kind of the worst opponent for Manchester United, I think, in the new coach's debut in week one. Like as a from a betting perspective, like I would have been more interested in Manchester United against Liverpool or City than Brighton. So I do wonder how they're going to fare against like their. I don't peers. know if we would have gotten a good number. No, we wouldn't. But I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> but um, by the way, uh, United plays Liverpool in two weeks. Yeah, I know. We'll get to that on a Monday. The the, the the point stands that uh, Brighton just they punch up so well against like a team and in, in their cohort and their a peer like Newcastle. I think it becomes a little bit dicey. I I, I think this is a game easy game to pass on. I like a lot on this board, as you could tell. Uh, and this one, I'm going to spec. And, and just kind of download information on, and see how Brighton stacks up against the team adjacent to them in, in the market. BJ, what do you have? I, I think this is a very interesting match. Like, and I feel the same way about this, how I feel about, you know, Southampton and Leeds, where I think that one's going to be chaotic. I'm really interested to see who is able to control possession in this match, because as we talked about, Brighton's incredible at controlling possession. You know, they were fourth in the Premier League last year. Well, Newcastle completely dominated Nottingham Forest. I mean, let's be honest. They controlled over 60% possession. Forest didn't look threatening at all. Going forward, as we saw with Newcastle last season, like they improved a lot defensively. Um, you know, this match, they went up 2-0 on Brighton inside 15 minutes, and then they just sat off and tried to see the game out defensively. Brighton ended up holding close to 70% possession. But the thing about I struggle with with Newcastle and and I I Brighton projected a plus uh, one forty three so I don't really see much value on, on betting the Seagulls here. Is that Newcastle, even from the January transfer window on, they were the worst team in the Premier League at playing through pressure per offensive pass per defensive action. And you're facing a Brighton team that was a top six pressing team last season. So there are signs that say like, hey, maybe Newcastle isn't as good as they were against Nottingham Forest running into. Brighton team that can control possession, that can press you, and that can also play through pressure might not be that great of a matchup for them. But with that being said, I mean, let's be honest, Newcastle was good defensively uh, since the January transfer on. I mean, they were only allowed 1.27 XG per match. That was way better than when they were, you know, a relegation favorite. And Brighton, I, I love Brighton, but they, they just weren't good offensively last year. I mean, they were 13th in non-penalty expected goals, and they were 17th in big scoring chances. Like, it's not the Brighton team of two years ago that just created chance after chance. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, Newcastle's defense looks a lot better than United right now. Uh, even, you know, the talent level might not be there. So I'm playing both teams to score no at minus 105. Uh, I think you're kind of sensing a theme for me this week. But, I mean, under two and a half goals is a little pricey at minus 135. I have both teams to score no at minus 133. I think this has the potential for a Newcastle. Hey, let's sit in and let's look to counter with uh, Alan St. Maximin and Callum Wilson and all these guys. But I mean, Caicedo in the midfield for Brighton looked yeah. amazing against United. Get those, so, get those Ecuador, like, get they those lose, they lose Basuma and then they now. just basically get another midfielder that can press and play just as well as Basuma did. So it's just goes an overall shows that Graham Potter's system is really, really, really good and is not reliant on the players that are in that system. So uh, for me, I'm playing both teams score no at minus 105. All right, let's get to United. 12.30 p.m. kickoff on Saturday mm-hmm. <laughs> in at Brentford Community Stadium. Brentford plus 280. United, even money. The draws plus 245. There's going to come a time where we're going to buy low on Manchester United. And it's going to be a week from Monday against Liverpool, right? Uh... This one. This one. <laughs> This one, 
These are such, this is a situation you dream about, Michael. This as a the, the hilarious thing about the way the schedule set up is, is we talked about how Brighton was like a nightmare match week one opponent for Manchester United. Brentford is just it, they're poor man's Brighton. Like, this is like yeah. well, they're a poor man's Brighton. Like they're well coached, well drilled side. Yes. They're not as good as that's, that's what the, they're the not saying, as good at controlling possession. Saying poor man's right. subject means that they're just right. a, a similar version that not, isn't as good. They're at home where they played really well last season. They have goals in their side through guys like Tony Buemo. I mean, how about De Silva coming back after 18 months out scoring? It's just really hard not to look at Brentford here. So that's where I'm going. And I mean, we'll get to we'll get to we'll get to bet on United in in a few days uh, from now. But for here, it's another fade. Let the chaos rain down on Eric Ten Hag, BJ, the bees. I mean, how can you not play Brentford here? I, they, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument they weren't like that great against Leicester. You know, they they showed a lot. You know, they were good for maybe the final twenty five minutes for the beginning of it. You know, Leicester controlled the midfield, which you could say the same about United. But I, I mean, this is the famous uh, Thomas Frank. We smashed them game where Brentford just completely dominated United in the first half. And then United created a couple big chances in the second half, ended up winning three, one, but Brentford won on XG 2.2 to two goals. So we've seen United now for basically the last month under Ragnick. And then now the first match against Brighton, they continue to show that they are a team that is not interested in really playing as a team or pressing as a team or having at least some type of togetherness. It's not there at all. And I've said, I said it last pod, but Ten Hag's system at Ajax is so reliant on having that central midfielder like a Gravenberg who can come in, who can play well when teams press them, who can distribute the ball and, and get it essentially moving forward. United doesn't have that with Fred or Scott McTominay. They're not, they really did struggle playing. I mean, Brighton put up 33% pressure success rate against them. That's better than what their average was last season. And they were top three in that category. United is not that great on set pieces. They were, they overperformed drastically on set pieces last year. They allowed six goals off about 13 expected Brentford top five set piece team in terms of expected goals. And Brentford was a decent pressing team. I mean, they were eighth in passes per defensive action. They were sixth in high turnovers, third in ball recoveries. So if a good pressing team like Brighton was able to do that to Manchester United away from home, there's no reason why Brentford can't do exactly the same at home at the Brentford Community Stadium, where, as we've said many times, they were way better than they were on the road. So I mean, I'll be honest, I have, I have Brentford projected as a slight favorite in this match because, you know, based on expected goal differential last year, there wasn't much to separate these two teams. United was plus 0.3, Brentford was minus 1.3. There's just not that much of a gap. So how can you get to United even money favorites on the road against Brentford? I, it's crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. This team has shown no life or no type of togetherness. I know I've already mentioned it, but really any type of cohesiveness to steer this thing in the right way. And Hey, you know what? Or Rabio is Rabio is going to, is going to change that. <laughs> like they are not, I mean, we, I won't go too long in this, but the Arnartovich that I, I, I tweeted that's rock bottom for United. Like, trying to sign a 33-year-old striker from Bologna who we – I was just like, this is what the club has become because nobody really wants to come here. So you have to play Brentford here. I'm sorry. Like, there's no reason why United should be any even-money favorite. Yeah, I didn't think Brentford was that good. You I hate the pretty. I thought they were pretty mediocre on Sunday against Le- Leicester, you know. Yeah, but- uh, and and, and uh, I said this. Uh, I think, you know, uh, Brentford regression is coming, but – 
again, the market just keeps showing no love uh, and, and they happen to get two teams who I, th- I think are overvalued right now with Leicester and then United. So I'm going to bet them again, take the bees plus a half. And I'm going to say, well, you know, I don't think Brentford's playing that well. And, you know, hopefully they, you know, don't play that well and get a result here. We were talking about week one overreactions and there's also like the other sentiment in the market, which is there's no way Manchester United could start a season. 0 and two against Brighton and Brentford. And, Guess what? There is. Uh, so yeah, all three. They, of they're going to start. Oh, I mean, uh, La- yeah. Liverpool's minus one forty uh, at the Theater of Dreams. Yeah, but we will be on United. We'll talk about it. one uh, of those teams. will be starting. Yeah, number I won't one be of those on. teams. One of those teams will be starting out with three, and we'll talk about that team in a little bit. Let's talk about Sunday mornings, nine a.m. kickoff. Nottingham Forest plus three ten hosting West Ham minus one fifteen. Both these teams lost. Forest uh, to Newcastle at Newcastle. West Ham hosting. Erling Holland's Man City. The draw is plus two sixty-five. I'm not going to change my tune about Forest because I think that they're they're going. I think that they're better than what people will expect out of them. Mm-mm. They look bad. worse. They look bad against Newcastle. I will say, but still, odds-on favorite for West Ham on the road is maybe a little bit too much here. Uh, so I've got some interest in Forest uh, as a as an underdog at home. Their first Premier League game in in two decades. Um, that's where I'll be looking. The trees, the tricky trees, uh, Anthony. You just were, you just I mean, were look, lamenting for us, but I think you like them. No, I, I, like my number says I have, I lean that way. Uh, but I think I'm, I think we're just not sure where the bottom is on this team. Look, who was the most dominant team the first weekend? Newcastle wasn't even close. Fifty nine touches in the penalty area. Either we're really wrong on Newcastle and they are like a top five, six team in this league, or Forrest is just an upper mid-table championship team who's playing in the Premier League now. Or it's just one game uh, and you just and they had, stuff they can had happen 10, in one game. We have, we have Huddersfield again. They have 10 attacking touches in the penalty area, fewest of anybody. No Taiwo, of course, but Lingard didn't really get, get into the action. Uh, where is the bottom? I mean, Newcastle had 32 passes into the final third, then they had 24 into the penalty area. That, that's they, 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 there is that's equivalent of the three of us playing defensive midfield against Premier League players. They just walked right into the box, got all the shots they wanted. Where's the bottom on Forest? Like the market showed them a ton of love in the preseason. They went from level with Bournemouth to damn near above Fulham in some markets. Uh, I, I'm very concerned, and my power rating on Forest is too high, so I'm passing. And look, it could that's, be an overreaction to one game, over, but I also let's see. like that—that that is literally what I just said. It's the definition of an overreaction to one game. But what if the market overreacted to their signings and they are just really, really bad? We'll because see. I think that's much I, more likely than the fact that we're wrong about one game on the road. Uh, we West try, Ham we, doesn't really have ball progression kind of stuff to dominate this, but like I think they're pretty overrated too. So passing. Uh, BJ, you're gonna you're gonna plug your nose here and jump in with me, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So. You know, these are situations. That's where, a sharp right there. Yeah. yeah so these, these are situations as a better where I, and I get it. Like I can't really sit here and say anything positive about what Nottingham Forest did in week one. They were really, really bad echoing everything Anthony's already said, but West Ham did open at plus plus one twenty before the Newcastle match. And if you look on the action network app, we have this, obviously this beautiful feature where you can see a graph of how the odds change. There is just a straight line up on, on Saturday morning from essentially West Ham plus 120. Now they're getting minus 115 and minus minus 120 in some markets, which yes, I think that's quite a drastic overreaction. And I understand it's Manchester City, but West Ham did not look good at all. Like they got completely dominated by City. So there's not much I could really take away and say, yeah, okay, like Nottingham Forest looked bad, but did West Ham really look any good? I mean, they drew City 2-2 at the end of last year and then they looked that bad against them on opening weekend. With supply chains becoming more complex, 
you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. And, you know, I know Anthony mentioned this a lot last year, but West Ham, they struggle basically trying to break down low blocks, which is what Nottingham Forest is. They're a heavy counterattacking team that's going to sit in defensively. That's just how Steve Cooper's going to have them set up against Roy Hodgson's Watford last year, 0.8 XG against Newcastle's defense after the transfer window, 0.7 XG against Brentford, 0.3 Sean Dyche's Burnley, 0.6 Wolves, 0.5 XG. So it echoes a larger point that West Ham is, is good when, you know, they're playing teams that are open like a Leeds or a Southampton, but when they have to break down low blocks, that's concerning. And also uh, West Ham's in a center back injury crisis again. Uh, Agurd is is out for at least the beginning of the season. Obana is doubtful now. Uh, they just sold Diop to Fulham. So now they're going to roll with Craig Dawson and Kurt Zuma yet again, like they did for a large stretch of last season. And when those two guys were in the lineup, I mean, West Ham was allowing 1.48 XG per 90 minutes. So yeah, I'm going to take Nottingham Forest. It's that's not going to be pretty. Plus half a goal. You can get it at even money in some books right now. I think that's a pretty decent price. This is an overreaction to West Ham. And I think honestly, as we get closer to this match, I think we'll see a correction back. And I think we'll, we will see a little bit of Nottingham Forest money come in the market. You know, yeah, my, my number you know, is West Ham plus 120. So yeah, I'm, I'm West Ham so, plus 125. So, yeah, so we'll see you. We'll you see you. Know, we'll see you on Nottingham Forest, Anthony. And, and by the way, you know who? Look, West if I Ham, bet this match, it will be betting on Forest. Uh, if it gets any further, I may have to just bite the bullet. But we're recording this on Tuesday, a little earlier than usual. I've got a few days to make my decision. I want to actually watch the Forest match. I haven't gotten a chance to do that yet because it, the Saturday 10 a.m.s get so congested. Uh, I can't watch all of them at once, so I have to go back and look through that game. Um, yeah, but you guys know who West Ham could really use in the middle of that defense right now? Connor Cody, but Connor too Cody. bad. Everton's got him. Let's talk about Connor Cody's boyhood club, Liverpool, minus 500 on Monday Night Football, the return of Monday Night Football. 3 p.m. kickoff Eastern time. They're hosting their bogey side, Crystal Palace. Chris Danball forever, man. Uh, Palace 14 to 1 on the money line. The draws plus 550. This is such an easy one. It's Palace all day at this price. 14 to 1 on the money line. I don't think they should be 14 to 1 on the money line against anyone in the Premier League. They're a good team. <laughs> anyone like they, in the world. Yeah, they're a good team. Which like is this the same is, thing. This is a great, you know, strong, like eighth best team in the Premier League. And they looked it against Arsenal. I know they lost, uh, but they didn't look like they were run off the pitch against Arsenal, who could be the fourth or fifth best team uh, in their Premier League. They hung with them. Like Anthony said, one set piece goes against them. They kind of kicked it into gear around right after halftime. They they have attacking threat. And the midfield, it's a toss-up like at this point with 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 Liverpool. If, if who's gonna like own the midfield? I know they're at home, but Thiago's gone. You're going to throw Harvey Elliott and like James Milner in the middle of the field and, and hope that they can handle this Crystal Palace you know, press. Like This sits up pretty well for Palace to, to pull a stunner. I'll be there. Anthony. Yeah, I think they have the physicality to match up with Nunez too. I do expect him to start. Yeah, I was just, I Liverpool, know, that's a great point. Liverpool like, looked the, a lot better after, right? Yeah. Uh, after Nunez came in and they opened it up and really kind of just you know bulldozed their way to some chances. But yeah, I mean, Palace was a great underdog last year. I think they're undervalued. I think they're still... After the first match of the season, I feel just as good about them as I did coming into the season. I don't care about the result, I care about the performance, especially this early in the season. 
performance was very encouraging. Check the core. I thought played well in the defensive midfield. And that's big going up against Liverpool. You're going to have to do a lot of ball winning. You have to work hard without the ball. And that was the strength of this palace team last year. That was why they got so much better defensively. Uh, and it's why they were top seven and expected goals allowed. So I like palace. I don't love the road split. You know, I'd rather take them plus one at home, but I'm happy to take plus two on the road because I do think that, you know, the same thing applies. I only make Liverpool 1.6 goal favorite. Uh, I'm happy to take the plus two. I think we're seeing a little bit of, of what I was talking about before coming to play here, which is the week one kind of gambler fallacy that this team is too good to start, you know, oh one and one for Liverpool. There's no way that they don't win one of their first two games as a as a second favorite. And sure, like they're very likely to win this game. The odds tell you that they're they minus five hundred. Yeah, I mean, this Liverpool wins two one. They could. I mean, this, but this this the market's telling you yes, Liverpool is a very very likely winner, but. I just think it's it's just way too shaded towards the Reds here because a lot of people are just assuming that even with the injuries and, and the fact that Jurgen Klopp seemed, you know, like they're kind of just going to ease their way into the season. Uh, no Jota. This is a tricky spot, man. BJ, what do you have? Yeah, I love Crystal Palace. So Thiago being out is quite big for Liverpool. So especially defensively because he is an incredible pressing midfielder. He's, he's really good at stopping transition last season. He missed 12 matches due to injury in those 12 matches. Liverpool allowed 1.44 XG per 90 minutes. When he was in the lineup, Liverpool allowed 0.66 XG per 90 minutes. That is a drastic drop off in terms of their midfield. They don't really have, another midfielder that can do what he does to the extent that he does. They obviously have very good midfielders, but not any to what he provides to their midfield. They weren't really that good against Fulham. I mean, yes, they controlled a lot of possession, but actually was 1.9 to 1.4 shots were 11 to nine. So not really that great a performance on opening weekend. And now they're going to face Chris Palace side that we've mentioned at nauseum is a top five defense has the ability and is successful when they're able to sit in and defend profiles very well against top six sides. It's a perfect recipe for an underdog. So I'm going to take Liverpool. I have Liverpool spread projected at minus 1.6. So I'm going to take them plus one and a half uh, plus one thirty. chase a little bit of a bigger price rather than taking the plus two because they, they profile so well as an underdog. And this is also, you know, one of the matches they played again against Liverpool at Sel- it was at Selhurst Park, but Thiago missed that match and Crystal Palace won on XG. They lost the match 3-1, but they won on XG 2.2 to 1.7 and Liverpool had a penalty. So like this is a team that profiles incredibly well as an underdog and I think that they'll definitely be able to show up for this match. So I'll say Crystal Palace plus one and a half at plus 130. Tell you what, the look on Virgil's face when he conceded that penalty to Mitrovic. I mean, that was a penalty. I, I know he's good, but you can't, you can't just put your leg out there but, and then just like, yeah. Was his, that was his first penalty. Sold, but it was a pen. First, first penalty, penalty Liverpool's conceded in, in, yeah. in 38 years. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's something else. And, and the look on his face where he's like, hey, Me? Virgil, I could, I could give up a penalty. Is that allowed? Yes, it is. Michael, the, the, yes. the, pit, the pitch the was pitch. dry. Pitch was dry. Pitch was dry. Did you see the Fulham tweet? The Fulham tweet was, was yeah, epic. that was beautiful. They took the sprinklers a wonderful, on. Wonderful the picture footage. of all the sprinklers going off up there. Uh, <sighs> I'm glad people are catching on to Anthony's boy Jurgen Klopp, an excuse, <laughs> an excuse addict, if there ever was one. Uh, all right, that wraps the Premier League. Let's quickly run through Europe. We're 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 going pretty long here. Bundesliga. I like uh, Leverkusen minus one and a half against Augsburg. Leverkusen second in, in non-penalty expected goals and seventh in big chances for an offense last year. 
Augsburg, 16th in preventing uh, non-penalty expected goals, 11th in preventing big scoring chances, and their offense is toothless. So I think this has blowout written all over it in a a league that loves a blowout. Uh, Anthony, your favorite bet in Germany. Yeah, I I may be joining you on that. Uh, Leverkusen, bunch of big misses against Dortmund. Uh, I like Wolfsburg plus two and a half. I think the market overreacted to Bayern's absolute domination of Frankfurt on opening weekend. I thought Frankfurt uh, was overrated coming into the season. I didn't read too much into that performance, although it does lead credence to the idea that what I said last week is that Bayern is not, or what I said on our Europod is Bayern's not going to miss Lewandowski that much. I still think that's true, but I do like Wolfsburg plus two and a half. Improved defensively down the stretch last season. Attack uh, shows some signs of life. Uh, I, I took the plus two and a half. All right, uh, BJ, your favorite bet in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I like uh, Hertha Berlin, Frankfurt under two and a half goals, a plus 110. I mean, yeah, Frankfurt conceded six to Bayern Munich, but Hertha Berlin is not Bayern Munich. I mean, in a wide open Bundesliga, they averaged 0.94 non-penalty expected goals per match. They were third to last in big scoring chances, and they were dead last in offensive passes per defensive action. Frankfurt was a top five pressing team in the Bundesliga last year, so... I mean, Hertha Berlin still, they're going to still rely on a 34 year old Steven Jovetic as their main striker. I mean, he had 0.39 XG per 90 last year. Nobody on Berlin had over 0.25 that had more than 1090s. So this is a really bad offense. And Frankfurt, I mean, listen, yeah, they won the Europa League and that's cool. But I mean, they were bad offensively in the Bundesliga. They were 1.26 non penalty expected goals per match and 13th in big scoring chances. So, uh, I mean, the last time these two teams met, I mean, you can get, crazy wonky scores in the Bundesliga. It just kind of happens from time to time. This was a uh, a 4-1 Frankfurt win with uh, just two expected goals created. So for two teams that are averaging under 1.3, you know, actually per match, I'm going to take under two and a half goals plus 110. It's a little bit of a flat spot too. Frankfurt playing Real Madrid on Wednesday in the Super oh, Cup. Yeah, kind of funny, uh, but they will have a bit of a letdown. You, you play Bayern, you play Real Madrid, and you play Hertha Berlin. <laughs> yeah. uh, La Liga, welcome back. La Liga. No. And what a bet to get it started. Atletico Madrid, Getafe, draw, plus 210. Uh, Getafe were the lowest event team in, in La Liga, which is the lowest event league on perhaps the planet. Uh, 1.95 total goals per game last year in Getafe matches. And we know what Atleti does. Like, they do the same thing. And they prefer teams to have the ball and come at them so they can hit you on their counter. Uh, they're not going to be able to do that. Uh, so Getafe at home, I think they can hang with Atleti here get a point plus 210 in what should be a snoozer on Monday, too. That's my favorite bet in La Liga. Anthony, what about you? Back on the Rio boys, Rio Vallecano, team total over a half at plus 105 on the road at Barcelona. Look, Barcelona, there's so much uncertainty at the club right now uh, with, you know, all the registering of the players. And I, I don't Who know what's coming. I don't know what to make of any of that. What Who I do know them? is that. I think when you look at the Chavi system, it has a tendency to concede goals and big scoring chances. Barcelona's without the ball defense is still pretty mediocre. They, they rely on having the ball as their defense. And when they don't have it, they struggle. And Viacano was extremely dangerous with the ball in direct counterattacking sequences last year and underperformed vastly relative to their expected goals. A lot of positive regression coming for Viacano. I like the over team total plus 105. Uh, BJ, what about you? Well, you talk about low events. I'm actually going to go with an over in La Liga to open it up. Uh, Valladolid, welcome back. La Liga overs. Yeah, welcome back to La Liga Real Valladolid, taking on our boys, Villarreal. 
I like over two and a half goals at minus one Oh five. I mean, so valid the lead. Yeah. They got relegated two years ago. They were very defensive four four two. but their one season they spent in the second division, they were an over team, you know, their matches average 3.2 expected goals and they themselves averaged around 1.9 XG per night. Now they're not going to do that in La Liga and they might set up more defensively. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But I mean, Villarreal offensively was an absolute, absolute juggernaut under Unai Emery. I mean, they, Averaged 1.65 expected goals per match. That was better than Barcelona last year. I mean, very slightly, but they were just as good as Barcelona. So uh, I have, they should have no problem creating chances against Valladolid, who, you know, they averaged, they allowed 1.35 XG per match in the second division. That's not really that good or that dominant. Um, and Villarreal on the other end of the spectrum, they overperformed defensively, you know, 37 goals off 47 expected. So I'm going to bet on a little bit of chaos here in, in this match. So I'm going to go over two and a half goals at minus 105. Anthony, uh, we also welcome back Syria Ah from your homeland. Uh, you got a vowel at the end of your name. So we'll let you kick it off with your favorite bet in Italy. I'm going to take Bologna plus one at Lazio. I mean, like if you've listened to this podcast in the last year, you know how we feel about Lazio and them scoring every single chance they created last year. Well, Bologna's defense was actually pretty underrated, especially toward the end of last season. Uh, they made some significant improvements in the second half, conceded fewer goals, uh, fewer chances. Uh, and profile well as a good underdog because of that. They are kind of the team outside the big six or seven rather uh, who, who are consistently between eight to 12, you know, Sassuolo is generally in there too, but Sassuolo losing a couple pieces that are pretty important. Uh, I think Bologna is underrated here. I make Lazio minus one thirty-five. They are minus one eighty, one ninety. Uh, I like Bologna plus one. BJ, what do you have for us in Italy? Yeah, I'm going to go Torino. Draw no bet at minus 105. They're taking on a uh, newly promoted Monza. Uh, if you listen to me and Anthony's uh, preview pod for the rest of Europe, uh, you know where I'm going with this one. Monza, in the second division last year, they had to come up. They had to come up through the playoff. Uh, they had a plus 0.6 expected goal differential per 90 minutes. And now suddenly they're going to be basically a pick em against a Torino team that was top 10 in expected goal differential. That was third in non-penalty expected goals allowed. Yeah, I'm going to take Torino. I understand that Torino lost Bremer. I understand they lost Pratt. I understand that, you know, they've, they've lost a couple. They lost Andrea Belotti. But they did make a couple moves. They brought in Lazaro as a right back from Inter. You know, they brought in a promising defensive midfielder in Ricky from Empoli. And I, like I already said, I think people are forgetting this is a top three defense. I mean, this is the number one team in, in Serie A in passes per defensive action. So you take a team that still has the same system intact and going up against a newly promoted side that can press them that, you know, Torino was top seven in average possession. So they're a very similar team, how I feel about them as with, you know, Brighton in the Premier League, where a team that can press control possession and play through pressure. So that's going to be a little difficult for a Monza team that I think is drastically overvalued to cope with in their first ever match in Serie A. So I'm taking Torino, draw no bet at even money. I have them projected at plus 107. League 1 now, BJ. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, people have listened to this podcast a lot. Uh, I call this the the set it and forget it game. Essentially, you know, a match that's going to be really boring and there's really no reason to watch it. So I'm going both teams scored no in Reims, Claremont foot. So uh, Reims was pretty bad defensively against Marseille, but you know, they gave an own goal in the 13th minute. It kind of changes things. But I mean, last year, this was a team that was 10th and non-penalty spectacles allowed. They were top five and big scoring chances allowed. And they're very, very conservative in their nature. And they're taking on a Claremont foot side that 
lost their best striker. Uh, Bio uh, has gone to Lil. He had 14 goals and a 0.52 XG per 90 minute scoring rate for them. He's gone, so that leaves a big void. They were awful against PSG in the first match. So I think this one has low event, 0-0, maybe a Reams 1-0 win written all over it. So I'm going both teams to score no at minus 105. Uh, and before we get to our favorite underdogs and then our best bets of the Premier League, Anthony, your favorite bet in League All. Yeah, I was worried. I mean, Lille rolled opening weekend uh, at home, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to get a good number against Nantes on Friday. Uh we got the good number. Pick them minus 120. Make Lille a pretty solid favorite. I want to keep fading this not team. They failed to score against Angiers. Uh, it was a pretty even game overall. It was lined as a pick them. So I, you know, can't really complain about a push there, but I'm going to keep fading them. And I love to bet on Lille. Lille, yes, they lost some pieces. You know, like, you know, Zeki Chalik is gone and, and, you know, they're not quite the same team. And of course, you know, now we're two years removed from, from, you know, the, the Baraki Oma's incredible season. But I mean, like Jonathan David is in the middle of a leap. I think, and he's, you know, one of the more underrated strikers. And uh, I just think that they have a lot more attacking firepower than Nantes does. So I like Leo on the draw a bet. And now we'll move on to our favorite underdogs of the weekend. And then we'll tell you the parlay price. If you wrap all three of them together uh, last week, we had Brighton, Brentford and Leverkusen. Brighton cashes as a five to one underdog this week. Uh, I'm going to start it off with a bang. Crystal Palace, 14 <laughs> to one. Against so Liverpool, we might be dead already, but this Crystal Palace team, overlook them uh, at your own peril here. They shouldn't be 14 to 1 against any team, perhaps in all of Europe. Liverpool's midfield is going through an injury crisis. Thiago Alcantara is out. BJ went over his splits uh, earlier in the, or the on-off splits with, with Thiago and Liverpool earlier in the podcast. They're ugly. Uh, he's an incredibly important player for them. They looked a little susceptible defensively against Fulham. There is some kind of maybe like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, a jet lag kind of thing going on with them after a really long preseason where they were in Thailand and then other parts of Asia, then they were in Europe, then they played the community shield. And that was coming off of a very long season, in which they played 60 games. I think you're catching Liverpool out at a pretty good time here. And palace is good. They're just a good team. They shouldn't be 14 to one against anybody. We'll start it off with crystal palace. It's, it's a long shot. This one's going to be a big price, uh, but who knows? Maybe it'll it'll be one of those season changers for, for everybody listening. Anthony, what about you? Fulham plus 225. Tough week for me to pick an underdog. Um, not a ton on the board that I love, love, but I do think I have the better team at plus 225. Uh, if, if I'm right about Paulinha and Pereira upgrading this Fulham midfield considerably on top of Mitrovic and, and what I like a lot about this team, I think they're the better team here. So uh, even though they're on the road, I'm going to take them on the money line. BJ? Osuna plus 220 at home to kick off the La Liga season on Friday, taking on Sevilla. Sevilla was basically one of the bigger, biggest overperformers in Europe last year. I know Anthony had a vendetta against them. He was against them quite a bit. Plus 23 actual. Wasn't a profitable goal. vendetta. Yeah. yeah, plus 23 actual goal differential, plus five expected goal differential. That is quite drastic. And they just lost their two starting center backs. Koundé's gone to Barcelona. Diego Carlos is gone to Aston Villa. And they haven't really done anything to replace it. They only have two center backs on their roster right now. So you have a team that's due for a ton of negative aggression. They're facing an Osasuna team that is mid-table club. Like, they're they're a decent defensive team. They were top 10 and expected goals allowed. They're not that great offensively. But, I mean, if you're giving me this big of a price for a Sevilla team that's going through a lot of transition that – is probably going to struggle a lot more than they did last season defensively. 
Yeah, I'm going to take Osasuna plus 220. If you have it within yourself to wrap together Palace, Fulham, and Osasuna, 155 to 1, should all three of those teams win, it's going to happen. Uh, all right, let's move on to our favorite bets in the Premier League for match week two. BJ, we'll start with you. Brentford plus half a goal at minus 110 at home against Manchester United. Manchester United, what they showed in the first match against Brighton is that nothing's really changed that much, even though Eric Ten Hag is in charge. They still look like a team that has no interest in playing as together, cohesive, pressing style that they were supposed to be under Ralph Ragnick. Well, Brighton just ran them right over. They pressed them successfully. And that's something Brentford, I think, can do well as well. They were a top 10 teams in terms of pass per defensive action, high turnovers, and ball recoveries. So you're getting a Brentford team that, not only that, they're really good on set pieces. They were a top five in terms of XG. Manchester United drastically overperformed their expected goals allowed on set pieces. And Brentford played way better at the Brentford Community Stadium. They were around a plus five expected goal differential. Manchester United away from home, minus seven expected goal differential. And these two teams weren't, there wasn't big that big of a gap between them in terms of expected goal differential in the table last year. Manchester United was plus 0.3. Brentford was minus 1.3. So it, there's no reason why Manchester United should be an even money favorite at Brentford. So give me the bees plus half a goal at minus 110. I'll be backing the over in Leeds, Southampton, over three plus 130. I like over three and a half at two to one as well. Uh, last year, Leeds United finished 19th in non-penalty expected goals allowed, 16th in big scoring chances allowed, Southampton 20th in big chances allowed, 17th in non-penalty uh, expected goals allowed. Southampton loves to press, 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 press. Leeds United is a very quick striking team. So this thing is going to seesaw out of control, I believe. It's a good live over game two if it's a slow start. Over three plus 130, Leeds Southampton is my favorite bet for the week in the Premier League. Anthony, take us home. Yeah, I'm going to take Crystal Palace plus two, minus 120. I thought Palace was pretty impressive in their opening day defeat to Arsenal. I don't care too much about the actual result. I care about the performance. The performance said they played about even with Arsenal. Uh, They were excellent defensively. They did concede off of a set piece, but only one big scoring chance allowed. Uh, They then conceded an own goal. But overall, over the course of 60 minutes, you know, the last 60 minutes, they were the better side. More shots inside the penalty area than Arsenal generated themselves. Uh, expected goals, expected threat, all even. Now they get to face a Liverpool team who will not have Thiago and Palace's strength last year, playing without the ball, defending without the ball, something they were very impressive with. Now they add Czech Decore to the defensive midfield. I think similar to what Paulinha did last week for Fulham, I think Decore can help break up the play, slow down Liverpool, keep this game competitive. Don't think they'll win, but I do think at plus two, I like the Eagles on the road. Palace, Bournemouth, parlay 509 to one if you play them on the money line by the way and on that note we'll wrap up another episode of wonder goal i'm michael lebuff for bj cunningham and anthony debundo we wish you all the best with your bets in match week two of the premier league and beyond 